From Data Rails, this is FPNA Today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FPNA Today. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst, aka the FPNA Guy, and you are listening to FPNA Today. FPNA Today is brought to you by DataRails, financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. Every week, we welcome a leader from the world of financial planning and analysis and discuss some of the biggest stories and challenges in the world of FPNA. We will provide you with actionable advice about financial planning and analysis today. This is going to be your go-to resource for everything FPNA. I am thrilled to welcome today's guest on the show, Gabriela Gutierrez. Gabriela, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul, for having me. Very happy and excited to be here. Well, we're really excited to have you. So let me just give a little bit about Gabriela's background. She's currently working in Germany, but she has uh, lived and worked all over the place. She grew up in Ecuador. She went to college in the U.S. in the Boston area, I think both Boston and Babson College. And then she did an MBA in Spain at EA Business School. And then she moved to Germany for work and has been working for company that looked like it just spun off, but was originally owned by eBay. And I'll let her talk a little bit about that. But that's a little bit about her background. So maybe can you tell us just a little bit more about yourself, take us through your career and how you ended up where you're at? Sure. So when I was a teenager, like at the end of high school, it was kind of the time to decide what you want to study. And funny enough, I was always struggling between like going into like more into science, something like would be like finance or engineering or more into art or fashion. So I always had this kind of struggle at the end, obviously finance won the, the race. And yeah, like I made the decision, but at first I studied like business administration. And then when, when I needed to do some internships, like all the time, the areas that they were like, will be like, I would be more successful or I would be able to really deliver over 100% would be always related with numbers. So then I said, okay, finance makes sense. Like, because if I would be something like with marketing, it would be kind of like digital marketing where you work with tons of data and like uh, A-B testing. So always with numbers. And then I remember in Spain, I worked for an NGO and then I was doing risk assessment. So we needed to work with tons, again, of data, with numbers. And I really thought it was when I started falling in love with, like really with finance. So it was not like the first love, but rather like over time, kind of acquiring this like to, to work with numbers and with finance. That makes a lot of sense. And I think we all go through that, uh, trying to figure out what we want to do when we grow up. Sometimes I still joke, I'm trying to figure that out. So I understand, you know, you mentioned thinking about, you know, finance, fashion, art, you know, those different things. We all have those passions. I have a sister that works in the fashion industry. So I understand that one. I remember helping her a lot through school, getting to cut patterns and all kinds of things a few times on the weekend when she needed help with her projects. So it's a fun. Fun industry. And I, I know the, uh, you know, trying to figure it out. I didn't know I'd end up in finance. I originally did an entrepreneurship undergrad and in grad school, I fell in love with my finance class. So I can appreciate that one. So you, know, you talked about numbers, talked a little bit about that. Can you maybe talk a little bit about how you ended up in FPNA? What attracted you to that within finance, right? There's a lot of different areas. There's the accounting, there's corporate finance, there's treasury. What is it about FPNA that interested you? 
I would say like I'm an introvert. So for me, like talking really a lot with people, sometimes it came even like not natural, but like in FPN8, it was kind of like a mix of you work with numbers and I love forecasting. The best season for me, it's like watching where most of the people will hate it. People at my company would be like, why? And I just love because you can completely have focused time. You create a forecast, you create a budget, you know how much any initiative in the business will influence the revenues or cost. So you can see the beauty of the numbers while you you work through forecast. And so, so then there isn't any better position for in finance that FPNA. And recently I was reading a book that it's, uh, I think it's the art of statistics. And uh, I read a quote there that it was numbers without you telling them the story. Like they are just numbers. We are humans. We need to give the meaning of them. So I think that's why I really love FPNA because you can't tell the story using numbers. I can tell you love numbers and you're a finance person when you use the term beauty and numbers together. That's when I know I have someone who likes finance. <laughs> yeah. Because that's usually not what you hear. So that that's great. That's great that you love it. Many of my friends would be like, why? Like they, they would be working in completely different industries and they are always kind of like, oh, Gabby, with finance and numbers. So they would kind of always make fun. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. A lot of people do that. They're like, well, why finance? What do you like about that? Or, you know, there's, there's always the, the jokes about accountants and bean counters. And I think we've all, we've all heard them. So I get it, but that's, that's great that you found something you're, you know, you're passionate about and you really like. So maybe talking a little bit, sounds like, you know, budgeting and forecasting is really something you love. So what has you found maybe some of the biggest challenges for you as you're going through and trying to figure out, you know, a budget or a forecast and how those initiatives impact the business? What do you find to be the, the hardest part for you when you're going through budget? Like, what's the challenge? I think it comes in different layers. I would say the first layer would be communication because FBNA doesn't work only with numbers. You work as well with humans. So then you have to have this alignment. Because whatever, like, even if you want to show the perfect budget or forecast, you need to understand, like, how is the cell team structure? What are, for example, initiatives coming from the product side that will impact the revenue? Any new features? So you really need to gather all the information. And that only comes with communication with the teams, with different stakeholders. And then you can really forecast even better. Then the other kind of layer, I would say, where I see a lot of challenge is like how to include macroeconomical uh, variables into a forecast. What would be, for example, right now, what would be the impact of uh, higher inflation, the interest rates, the consumer index? Are they still going to have the same patterns as before or what had happened like while we were during COVID times? So all of these kind of changes in the market, how we would be able to include them in a forecast. And on a third layer, I would even say it would be accuracy, like how we are able to really improve that. Because we have right now a very completely different economical uh, 
economy, like, sorry mm-hmm. for being uh, repetitive, but in a way that is changing quite fast. And how are we as finance managers, as FDNA managers, are going to be able to even be ahead of those uh, changes and be able to incorporate them into the forecast? And once we incorporate it into the forecast, how we can communicate it back to the stakeholders of what could happen and what would be the decisions based on that that we can take to reduce risk or to take opportunities in the business. I think there's a lot you said there, and that all makes sense to me as I heard it, you know, kind of three three layers or key things I saw is, you know, first, obviously, we have to understand and work with the business, understand those initiatives, understand the structure. I've seen over my career kind of finance build the plan in a silo, and it doesn't work well, right? You know, never a good idea. You really want those relationships with the business. The second, I think it's an area we're all, you know, kind of dealing with is what external factors should we bring in? How should we think about external factors? And then the third thing you mentioned is just all the uncertainty because of the environment we're in, right? We've seen the inflation. Everybody's seen these numbers, 40-year highs, you know, UK, Euro, US, right? We've seen the interest rates going up as we try to fight the inflation. You've seen FX rates like the Euro, right? If you have a lot of US dollars, there's been a big change in what that rate is. Like I look at it and go, wait, it's one to one. I should go to Europe now because I went back in 2008 and it was 1.6 to one. And I was a college student. I was just like, you know, it just hit its highest point ever when I went. I'm like, really? Can you be any higher for me? (laughs) Perfect timing. Yeah, it was a fabulous trip. I loved it. We studied uh, transitioning economies in Eastern Europe. I got to go to Croatia, Greece, and Bosnia. And it was a lot of fun, but definitely wasn't cheap. Yeah, I can imagine. But very interesting countries as well. And uh, it's also very interesting once, for example, like the impact that had for the Greek economy to join the euro and still like the lacking effects of that. We are still seeing it. And what's the social impact that is happening into the society? No, I totally agree. It's fascinating to see those different countries. Like, you know, we got the opportunity to meet with university students in uh, Sarajevo in Bosnia and get to learn about their economy. And it was fascinating. Croatia, we got to tour a pharmaceutical plant and talk to some people in the tourism industry because we were in Dubrovnik, which is really big. So it was just, it was fascinating. Greece, we got to go to their stock market and talk to some people at the stock market. So it was really fun to learn these different countries and see the challenges and, you know, the differences in their economy and how they were you know, trying to transition and grow. Like, you know, Croatia and Bosnia, especially that I don't think either of them are in the EU now. I can't remember if they're, I know they were, you know, some of them were trying to, and just the challenges of, you know, some of the different things they dealt with that they needed to take care of to be accepted and how they thought about that and how it would impact their economy. So yeah, it was, it was a great learning experience. I would love to do something like that again, but so, okay. So we've talked a little bit about forecasting there, love of numbers can you talk a little bit about, you know, within FP&A, how have you seen it structured? Like what responsibilities have you typically seen within your FP&A and kind of how the organization has worked? So far, so pretty much I have been responsible for revenue forecasting. So to, uh, like within like Evic Finance Icon, we have like different verticals or different types of revenue. And three or four of them I have been in charge of. So quite like, I would say it's 70% or 80% of the revenue it has come to my shoulders. And each of them, it's very different to the other one. So I can tell you, we have advertising. 
completely mm-hmm. different business than what we have for features revenue and completely different business of what we have to transactions or like the subscription. So it's kind of like within the same company, we have total different like revenue forecasting metrics and, and type of business. I can give you an example for advertising. We take a look at what is our revenue per KV per 1000 visits. For transactions, we have a funnel where we could take a look of like the number of organic ads that we have, organic eligible ads, because not all of them would be eligible for ad transactions and shipping. And then what would be our adoption, right? But there you see, I manage like different models, different businesses, and even like the, how the business develop over time advertising overall it's like already a very mature business transaction still a very young and as well very young team so even the level of support that it will require it's totally different so sometimes mm-hmm. i feel i'm wearing like in a sense the same hat that many hats because like the type of information that I would need to give to some a business unit would be completely different to the other one. But I'm still doing kind of the same FBNA role. That makes a lot of sense if you have three or four different business. Sounds like you got subscription, you got advertising, you got transactional going on. And, you know, each of those have different metrics. I supported a business that was a marketing business as well as some others. So we had, you know, we had subscription and we had a lot of transactional and each business was a little different. and different cells. Some were all inside. Some had a mix of field and inside and a lot of account management. And yes, very different in how you're supporting each of them. So how do you, you know, how, how do you boil that down and keep kind of those basic drivers to keep, keep track of that? Have you found, you know, that you just focus on the two or three key drivers or what has helped you be able to manage having all those different types of revenue? That's a really good question. So, so far, it's pretty much how I dedicate my time. So I would say like, I don't know, Mondays, I would really focus on that business as we take a look at what happened last week. So we actually work with daily data, but then we take a review of what happened on a weekly basis. So pretty much Mondays would be advertising, Tuesday transactions, Wednesday features, and then I would collect all the data. And then I would see, ah, okay, we were above or below our forecast or budget. Let me take a look where it's coming from. But it, it wasn't kind of like just one dashboard that could tell me what's happening because they are very different. They are interconnected in a sense that obviously we are e-commerce in a sense business because we are a classified group and most of our activity comes from our website. So we mm-hmm. need to have like higher number of visits, higher number of listings. So pretty much that would be kind of like the first uh, uh, level of in our funnel. But then the, the behavior from each uh, revenue stream is totally different. So that's why that so far I hadn't found one kind of dashboard that would be this is the metric or this is the unit that could help me with to measure what happened this week. That makes a lot of sense. And there's rarely one number, right? It'd be nice. Here's your number. Just focus on this, but never, never works that that easy. So it sounds like obviously website, I would guess a lot of, you know, monitoring number of visits, traffic, time on site, a lot of those type of things is kind of top of funnel. And then seeing how that filters down to 
what's the conversion rate, how many subscriptions or how many ads, how many views on the ads, all those type of metrics. Is that a lot of what you're looking at? Yeah. And then like, also you need to partner, for example, for key metrics with, uh, to, with other teams, with the analytics team, because that would be like on top of the key metrics as FBNA would focus on revenue, but in a sense, we also need to focus on metrics because that's our funnel. So yep. you need this partnering with other teams. And that's why I was referring to, as the first layer for FBNA, the communication, because you always need to understand what's happening, besides from only taking a look at revenue or cost. No, totally agree. I mean, I think business partnering and working with the business is critical. A lot of people think finance does just numbers. And I'll admit my favorite part of finance is working with the business. I enjoy getting into a spreadsheet and doing numbers, but I also really like, you know, being with people. And so I, you know, big believer that finance needs to get out of its spreadsheet from time to time. We can't spend all day in Excel. (laughs) As much as there's days we might love to, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. That's why I also like to structure my days within a week because then it would come the end of the week and I would focus on Thursday, Fridays, pretty much focus work on Excel or G-Sheets, like really just doing like modeling. I understand that one. That makes a lot of sense. So obviously you work with a lot of departments and you mentioned analytics. Do you guys have, do you work with data scientists or maybe kind of talk a little bit with the key groups you're working with with revenue? I'm guessing sales, probably some kind of analytics team, but how does that work? Kind of how's your relationships and how do you, you know, kind of partner on the data? Because it's so different in every company, how they structure that. Yeah, so we work quite closely with the analytics team. And for me, especially because most of their revenues depend on the key metrics on them. This, like we are in constant, like, Pretty much when I need to update, it's like if I see something odd in the data, I would be like, okay, my contact person for the analytics team here, like we need to fix this or like something happened, like, uh, can you please take a look at that? But, and that in a sense, I would be in a bridge of and very, like being a very analytical person and being like a finance person. Because some of the metrics, I would, sometimes I would be able to forecast them myself. Because I would say, okay, I already have my models. I would just run them and I would see what's happening into the revenue. So sometimes I also like to have this uh, non-dependency into another department to really yep. kind of be proactive and then just see. And with that, you could also challenge, like, for example, if they would come with different, like, metrics forecasts and I would see no, like, I have done the same forecast. I see a different result. Like, let's align. Where is this coming from? It's great when you're able to do that yourself and be able to run the numbers and compare, right? Kind of do that. Well, you came up with 2 million and I came up with 1.6. Why are we 20% different? Oh, you use this assumption. I use that assumption. Or you tweak the data this way and I tweaked it that way or whatever, you know, there's been a lot of debate. I'm curious your take, you know, there's some people and I've seen it go back and forth in different companies that, you know, the analytics department should sit it within finance. You know, my last company I worked at before I started my own business, when we got a new CFO, that's one of the first things he did is he put analytics under finance, you know, and the funny thing is that's where it was five years ago in this company. And then they broke it out on its own and now they brought it back in. And there's always kind of this debate because, you know, there, Finance is so data driven 
is, you know, should, should analytics and the data sit with finance? Should it sit with IT? Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you have a preference of where you think it, it naturally fits or what's your take? A very, like a good question as well. I would say it depends because I will break it down, not like a single group of analytics, but rather I would divide like the analytics in a sense as a general business. And that, and there, I would totally agree that it should be within finance. And mm -hmm. then if it is like product, like more product business analyst, it should be within tech and product. Because like even the job description would be completely different. Like a product analyst, it would be running A-B testing. It would give us kind of the first overview of how the product will react or evolve and what would be the revenue impact. But it won't, for example, in our case, it won't tell you how many new visits we will have next month. And I think this product A-B testing would be, should be closer to product and tech because it would bring more value to them. But like a generalist or like a, yeah, a generalist mm -hmm. analyst, definitely it would bring more value to, to finance. And that's where like there we should really work closely. But really good question because I have also seen this debate of where should analytics sit in which department. And that's why I asked it, right? There's no, and there's no right answer. You know, I think that can work well in finance. I think there's times when it can sit, you know, in multiple places, depending on the data and what you're doing. The key thing is a couple things. There's, you know, one data source. You don't have everybody using different data sources and you have the culture where everybody's sharing. That's really the key things for me. I do think, you know, there's a natural fit to finance, like you mentioned, for a lot of it. But it's always interesting to see what different people think about it because different experiences and different companies all manage it so differently. And it really has been a, you know, very popular debate. I've seen the debate happen a number of times on LinkedIn with different people of, no, it should be this way. Well, no, it should work that way. And it's like, as long as it works, that's what matters. <laughs> yeah. And I think it would be almost impossible to race it and to have it like, yeah, it should be finance. No, it should be product or tech. It, it would really depend on like how the company is structured, mm -hmm. like, and what's like the, what's analytics serving as a purpose? Like, is it, yeah, I think that's where they, like the real good answer will lie on. No, I, I, I agree with you. A lot of it depends on industry and company and the leadership and there isn't, it's like most things, like you said at the beginning, almost any question you can say, it depends, right? There's, it's rarely can you boil it down to a simple, this is how it works. Yeah, It'd be no. nice sometimes, <laughs> but it's rarely ever that simple. We will be right back. You know what it is like. 13 different spreadsheets emailed out to 23 different budget holders. Multiple iterations, version control, errors, back and forth updates. You never really feel in control of the consolidation and collection process. Yep, I've been there. Stop. Breathe. DataRails is the financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. DataRails takes data from all your company's disparate sources. No organization is too complex, consolidating everything into one place, secured in the cloud. Now all your data finally talking to each other. Everything is automated back into your report in Excel. 
cash flow, FX conversion, intercompany transactions, now automated and up to date. Drill down and variance analysis in seconds. Don't replace Excel, embrace Excel. Turn your Excel into a lean, mean FPNA machine. Find out more at www.datarails.com. And now let's get back to our episode. So, you know, kind of moving on here, you had mentioned on LinkedIn, you had talked, I think it was a while back, probably about 10 months ago or so, a little bit of an AI initiative that you were working on, you know, trying to improve some accuracy of forecasting. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that and how, you know, that initiative went, how you were thinking of using AI? Yeah, sure. So everything started when I joined eBay Town and Simon. Because I realized we have a lot of data and we hadn't figured it out, like in a sense, like how to really leverage the amount of data that we have. Yes, we can use Excel for forecasting, but I was seeing some that we were reaching the capabilities that we could do in Excel. And then I said, like, okay, what's the next step? And that's where I see a lot of opportunities for FPNA and also for FPNA managers. Because once we kind of reach this point, what else is there? And and for me, like I went to really, I didn't know how to code before I went into this journey. And I always try to avoid kind of like known code solution for better prediction, financial forecasting. I spent days on that, Googling it, and I couldn't find something that would be kind of good enough and would give me a solid result. And then I said, okay, so if there isn't something in there, okay, let's go to the next step. Let's go, okay, what's the next option? And that was kind of like artificial intelligence models and machine learning. But then you have, at least for my experience, a high adoption, like you need to really jump a wall because you need to understand how like Python code or syntaxes work. And then you need to understand what like a model will do and Really, without having the knowledge, it was sometimes even overwhelming. And I I kind of took it like, okay, first step, let's learn Python, how to code. And I went and it was like, oh, it looks like Excel. And sometimes it doesn't look like it. But some of the syntaxes were similar. And then I took it and then I went into everything that would be related to time series predictions. And uh, funny enough, I did it, this all on, on my leisure time. And I came out to an algorithm really developed by Facebook and it's called Profit. Without knowing that, uh, that also within the, our analytics team, they would also be using the same algorithm to predict the key metrics. And that was really funny once I started uh, predicting the revenues and we kind of like, wait a second, you're also using that. And oh yeah, we get really good results with that. So that was kind of like the story, but in a sense, it was just the beginning because once you kind of step like, of that barrier of like you like being able to code, you can like really create a lot of more beauty within numbers and within like uh, machine learning models. Because with profit, it was a very simple model. It's uh, more or less like deep learning, but then that would work with certain products that once you have a lot of historical data, 
But if you would go to a new launch product and you want to use kind of statistical model, it wouldn't work. You don't have any data. But then I just found like so much information about different data models. And then it was really just the beginning. And for now, I'm just only using them. And uh, since then, I have never stopped. And uh, when once I posted on LinkedIn about the comment, I really wanted to to see like what were like the people's challenges because for me it was a lot about this accuracy and how people were resolving this and especially if they were still using Excel, how were they doing? A lot of great information there, and that's you know great that you took that initiative and learned learned Python. I've uh, I've toyed with it a little bit. I've never learned it. It's still on my list. In fact, I have a book back here. Uh, maybe I must be upstairs right now, but I have a book I've been reading again about uh, learning a little bit about Python and R. So I can understand that. And I think you mentioned right now, if I remember right toward the beginning, or it might've been even before the podcast, you're reading a statistics book, I think you'd said. So it, it, it sounds like you've really embraced you know, a little bit of the data science side of finance and that in FP&A and seeing how machine learning and AI can help improve models. And interesting on that, I think you'll find this interesting. I had the opportunity about a month or two ago to talk to a lady. She uh, was the first data scientist in finance for Facebook. She started up their their data science organization, and she was telling me about how she'd built some of the models, and you know they were getting to within one percent of accuracy of their daily revenue. So it was really fascinating listening to her talk about. It. She had a mathematics. I think she had worked on a PhD in mathematics or something like that. You know, really smart lady and. Like that would have been fascinating and talking about just all the resources they had at Facebook, right? Huge data science department. For example, the algorithm that they developed, it was by two data scientists. Uh, but yeah, it's like, for example, I would also say like another barrier, it's the level of mathematics that you need to know to be able to understand them. Because in a sense, it would just give you data, and but then you wouldn't know like, okay, what does that mean? Why did it was eight instead of 10 or 100? And uh, and I have been also into that journey to really kind of going backwards to really, okay, I did the fitting of the model like this. So that's why I'm coming to this result. And then it makes sense to do like that. And uh, it's still very noob into like the data science, but I find it like really fascinating. And, and I think the future will lie there because we have more and more data and what our jobs will become in the future is really about predictive analytics. What are we going to do and how can we really predict what would happen? But it's really tough. Yeah, no. So it sounds like you've really embraced, you know, the data analytics and the data science journey. So as you've gone through that over the last, you know, year or two here, and you've kind of learned just Python, obviously studying some statistics, what advice would you have for somebody who works in finance who wants to learn more? about the data science, maybe, you know, Python or statistics, or how would you recommend they go about that? Do you have any advice from kind of your journey that would help others? I think there is a lot of like free information already out there. Literally, if you are a person that you could like self-taught yourself, um, self-taught, you could just watch a YouTube video or you could go to Udemy or Coursera. There is tons of information out there. I found the MIT uh, courses for free on statistics and data science. They are also like, you can just sign up and they have a lot of good 
content classes, the exercises, they are simple to use. They can accommodate to your schedule whenever you want to practice. So I would totally recommend everything that be online. So then you can have your own pace because it will take a while. It's kind of like learning. I always compare it sometimes to learning Mandarin. Like if you will go this jump from zero to to being fluent in another language. So I would see you like that more or less, but everything it's out there. And uh, I would also encourage not to be afraid because for some people it will sound that you need to have a lot of resources or you have a lot of knowledge about mathematics. And I would say like, no, like really once you, you just do the first steps, you will get it. And then you would come in like in layers and then you would be able to learn more. That makes a lot of sense. And it's so true, the number of resources we have today. It's amazing what you can find with the internet, right? That you can do virtually. So appreciate the advice there. So kind of switching gears here a little bit, you know, this is a question we kind of, we, we like to ask people just to see how different people have managed through what I like to call mistakes. You know, we've all made them. I've had some huge ones in my career. But, you know, what's maybe a big mistake you've had in your career? Say, for example, an analysis that went wrong, you know, maybe a mistake in a budget. And what did you learn from the experience? Oh, actually, okay, I have a silly mistake that happened uh, yesterday to me. I had a mistake in a summary formula. And I was so usually like once we like we predict lower visits, our revenue would also decrease. And I was like, Hmm, something is wrong. My revenue is increasing. Like, and, uh, and I just noticed it. And it was like a very summary formula. And I should have known better. And I literally spent like 10 minutes and I was like, where is this coming from? Like, I'm taking like the month over month growth. And it's like, yeah, but uh, like a more in a serious way. For example, for me, the biggest mistake would be like that I didn't went into this data science path before. I really regret it. Like, for example, if I would have taken in college more like a statistical and mathematical like lectures, I think the capabilities that I would currently have and the level of value that I would even able to bring into the company would be much higher. And my goal right now is to really build my own forecasting model and not use like the current ones that we have, but rather build it from scratch. And I think if I would have started that journey before, I, right now I wouldn't have it. So that's kind of like, oh, I should have, but yeah. Yeah, th- th- that's a great example there. And it's clear you're passionate about what you do. I mean, I can see your excitement as you talk and that you love the, uh, you know, the state of science side to finance, the machine learning, the digging in and building those models and working with the numbers and it's great to see because I can, you know, I can see that that passion. And I laugh when you mention the sum ifs because we've all been there where you you do a formula and you're spending, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever a day sometimes. Why is this not working? You know, I used to do SQL. I I wrote reports and right, the code doesn't work. And you're spending hours trying to like, why am I getting a billion dollars back? The number should be like a million. I know something's wrong. So we've all been there and there are days when it's just like, okay, I'm just putting this aside. I'll look at it tomorrow because I can't figure out where I screwed it up. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I spent really like uh, too long to really figure it out, and uh, because I was thinking, no, the formula is right. There is something wrong. But then when everything else was correct, I'm like, is the formula wrong? 
that that's exactly it. you go through the process and you're like and you keep coming back you're like well it can't be that but then you go through it logically and like well it can't be anything else so it has to be that and then you start going okay so what did i do wrong <laughs> say yep like i saw a shirt that made me laugh and you would appreciate this in coding and it was uh you know said i think it said something like roses are red violets are blue you have a left bracket on line 32 you know like yeah and anyone who's coded <laughs> can understand that one, right? You can appreciate the, we've all been there where it's like, can someone just tell me where the mistake is? Because I'm tired of looking. For example, that for coding, there was like, when I was learning it, I would have spent like hours to really understand why it would come up an error. And I would go to like Google, like error, blah, blah, blah. And then I wouldn't understand anything. And then I would be like, oh my God, like about to cry because like it wouldn't work. And then, yeah. But yeah, that's like the funniest stories that the later you can laugh. Yeah. At the time, you're very frustrated. Later on, you look back and you laugh and just be like, I did what? So yeah, I can, I definitely have plenty of those throughout my career. So I can, I can relate. So, you know, switching gears here, this is a little more kind of personal question to help our audience get to know about you. What is something unique about yourself that you can share with our audience? Something they wouldn't find online, a unique uh, hobby or whatever you want to share, just something unique. Oh, I love the sports and I really like love art. That's why it was another reason why I moved to Berlin because it's like a very artistic city. And uh, I would have spent some time when I was even younger weekends just going from a gallery to the next gallery and then like going to museums and then like photography would be kind of my secret hobby that I would just you will see me sometimes I would, I would be walking and then stopping in the middle of the street and I would be fascinated with something about architecture or art or making a picture and everyone would be, are you okay? That's great. Art is a beautiful thing. Do you have a favorite artist or museum or anything like that? Uh, yeah, in Berlin, there is a Spirit Margaret Gallery as well. There is also a new national gallery that opened recently in Berlin. It's like with this brutalism style. And at the bottom, you have really nice garden. I went in summer. So it also it helps because I imagine in winter, it would be pretty much great and very cold. But in summer, it was really beautiful. And they have an exhibition about women in the 19th century and what was the role. So very as well relevant as I also work as a part of a diversity and inclusion group within my company. So I'm always kind of keen to, to see this type of exhibitions and how we can really improve there. That's great. I love, you know, that you've been involved in diversity and inclusion because it's so important. Companies, when we embrace diversity and embrace, you know, different groups and welcome different thought and include everybody, you get better results. Plus, it's fascinating. I mean, I love learning about different people and seeing their different views. I, you know, I embrace that and having those discussions because it often opens my eyes like, oh, I'd never thought about it that way. Or, oh, that's how you experience that. I see it this way. Like your, your experience is so different, even though we may be looking at the same thing. We, we interpret it so differently. So that's great that you're involved in that. So it sounds like it's a passion of yours. Yeah, true. Like you can see, I have many passions, but yeah, it's something like really, because sometimes with finance would be like very numbers 
driven and where is like kind of more social part would be DEI, like really what would be, for example, in, in, in our case, what would it be initiatives that we can do to have like a better belonging, like that will, people will feel more welcome in, to work in a company. Like, um, I remember a couple of years ago, I, I work in a company where I was the only woman. And that was like, in a sense, very challenging to really make yourself heard or like really es- express a point because then you would feel like, oh, a lot of pressure. So right now in our group, what we try to do is really a touch point in belonging, how we can make everyone welcome. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and in finance, most of career, obviously it's tended to be most men, but I did get the experience in college, I worked for a couple of years and there was about two years where of all the students, I was the only guy, it was all girls. And so it gave me a different perspective of kind of, you know, being the minority, so to speak, because, you know, most of my career, I've been the in the majority. It's a lot of people, you know, male. And so I haven't had those experiences much as others. So I always appreciate people sharing because I get, you know, there's, it really, you know, really is important that we make sure we're embracing and involving everybody because a lot of people have been marginalized throughout society. So I, I really appreciate you being involved in that and sharing that, that that's great to see. So next question here, you know, as you look over your career and just kind of look back, what is an accomplishment you're most proud of? So if you're in a job interview and I ask you, Hey, what's the proudest moment of your career? What's your greatest accomplishment? What are you going to tell me? I would say like the models that I, that I currently run in, when I talk about them, would be like, yes, I did it. Like, uh, I was able to learn it and to run it. And we get like, for example, sometimes I get a request, like we need to do a long-term planning and we need to forecast revenues for the next five years. And then really how, if you would do it manually, it would be like such a man work. And then I'm like, okay, no problem. We can do it. I just need to run like at least the run rate models that it will work and then talking and aligning with the team and then we would be able to build like a case. But that's totally feasible if you use machine learning and then you, you just have it like in five minutes more or less, but you need to check like then the checks, the fitting. But if you would just run the model, you could have for the next 10 years if you want to. Thank you for sharing that. And I know who I'm coming to when I want to uh, get more involved in machine learning. You might get a, a message from me. <laughs> yes, please. Anytime. Like I would be more than happy to like really to talk about this with other finance uh, managers, like everyone. Yeah. Great. So now this is a question we ask everybody. It's kind of our fun question. You, I know you've seen the video about this. What is your favorite Excel function and why? Yeah, like, I think that's the most tricky question because, <laughs> like, I couldn't decide. Before the, the mistake I, I had yesterday, I was going to say some if because it's, like, so simple. And then you could just, whatever you need in a second, would it be like, okay, you just get the ball. But uh, after my mistake, not anymore. Uh, uh, but I will really choose to, to use pivot tables because once you have tons of data, a pivot table can just summarize everything quite quickly. You don't need to kind of experiment with like crazy formulas. You just have an overview of the data. So pivots. Yeah, no, pivot tables are a great one. I remember the first time someone asked me about pivot tables, and this was back 
20 years ago now. We were trying to figure it out and I'd never used them. And we were trying to summarize text because I had no idea what pivot tables were with my boss. And I was like, what good are these? And then, you know, went back, finally figured it out. I'm like, oh, these are great. These are, now I get how they work. And now I look at it and go, how did I not understand that? It just seems so simple. But when you're first trying to learn it, it can take a little while. But yeah, in my last job, I use pivot tables pretty much every day. Huge fan of pivot tables. So I I can appreciate that one. They're a great one. So last question we want to ask you here. We've really enjoyed this time and I'm excited, you know, we'll be excited to release this uh, episode to our audience and them to get to learn a little bit about you. But, you know, if somebody was starting an FP&A today, so they're just starting out in their career, what's the one piece of advice you'd give them? What would you tell them as a piece of advice if they came to you? I would say like... um... First of all, always have an understanding of the business, like really spend time talking with people. Because as I mentioned, I think at the beginning, it was like numbers are numbers. Like we are the ones that we need to give them the context and the meaning. So it would be like understand the business and understand where are the challenges and like opportunities as well. And, and then how do you can understand that? It's like through data. If we want to see a challenge, you need to see like what's the like economical environment. If we want to see an opportunity, you need to understand how the industry is working and where is it going to so that data. So also spend a lot of time having the right tools and the right skills, how you can manage tons of data. I love the first part of learn the business, right? Really understand the business. That's something that's helped me a ton in my career. And then get to know the numbers, get to know the data. So that's great advice. Really appreciate that. And we've really enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you for you know carving out some time for us today. And hope you have a great, I know it's Friday, so I hope you have a good weekend and get to enjoy some, uh, some downtime there in Germany. So thanks again for being on the show, Gabriella. Thanks to you, Paul. It was a pleasure to be here.